0: though so i haven't done that yet
1: oh, well we're starting off with people hearing about you not ordering lunch for your kids um yeah. jeffrey what is the proudest proud dad moment of your life because i had mine this it's past not, weekend it's not right now i mean i'm
0: forgetting to order lunch for my kids it's two o'clock in the afternoon
1: oh no i'm talking about the moment where not where you were proud of yourself as a father but where you oh kids i get you okay well let me tell you a story of My
0: son. It was when Melan
1: said she wanted to be a capitalist when she grew up.
0: (laughs) That is, she said she knew what
1: it meant, but she wanted to do that.
0: I'll send you a video that I think is also pretty funny. I'll send it to you after the show. But no, yesterday, yesterday, sometime this week, my four-year-old comes in and he sits down on the chair next to me and he puts his like arms on his on his knees, right, and he leans forward like he's you know getting ready to have a real heart-to-heart talk. And he says to me, he says, "Dad, when I poop, it's like." logs and i said well you and I have very
1: better. different proud father moments unless there's more to the story said, that, <laughs> that's good buddy and he's like no
0: sometimes it's like boulders I said, yikes you okay do you need anything no nah, dad i'm tough i poop it out <laughs> okay great there you go i'm pretty proud of the kid You know, he's facing adversity. He's got problems that he doesn't want to deal with. You know, things that aren't fun. And he just
1: muscles through it. Oh, yeah. So my proud dad moment. So we were driving. I flew up last weekend. I talked about this on the show. I flew up with my daughter Friday afternoon. And we were driving from the airport in Salt Lake. Okay. And, you know, being in Utah, there's a bajillion temples everywhere. Yeah. lots. And, you know, so we're driving. and She's like, oh, the temple. Oh, there's another temple. Oh, like, why are there so many temples here? And then on Saturday morning when we got to the tailgate lot and we drove by the stadium, <laughs> she looked at it and she said, is that the BYU temple? Oh yeah. And I said, damn right, honey, it is. It is.
0: <laughs> that is, is a it good is
1: moment. The, it, and the angel Lavelle is looking down on us from the top and that is the BYU temple. That's a good moment. I'll give it to it you. Was, it, was a, it was a great moment. It was a great day. I mean, she... Had so much fun at the game and cheering. And she, the the cutest part of it all was at the end of the fight song. So like you know, they do the fight song, and then you do the rah 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 rah. Yep. And then after they say "Go Cougars," they play the cougar, like the roaring sounds that they do, like when there's a first down or whatever. Yep. She thought that was part of the whole thing. So if you ask her to do the fight song now, she goes rah 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 rah, Go Cougars. Look
0: at that. And
1: she's got it like down perfectly. That'll so, make you proud. It, I was you know, also was at the
0: game day. last week.
1: Oh, that was poor planning on our part. We could have seen each other in person for only the second time ever.
0: Yeah, we could have. Uh, yeah, and I, I made it down for my annual game. You guys know this. I don't get to the stadium every single game. Well, you live in Canada. It's like hard. I, you got to cross I the border. Board. The whole thing. You got to bring your passport. I mean, it's a whole mess of a thing. But uh, we were in the lodge, in the President's Lodge.
1: Oh, you were fancy, fancy.
0: Yeah, it was nice. So while you guys, I, yeah. I watched as the thermometer on the field hit ninety degrees, and I thought to myself, "Ah, we should just lower this air conditioner down to maybe sixty-four in here. It's getting a little warm."
1: The uh is that was. I'm assuming this is part of part of your daily dose, brought to you by Feastbox. That that is why you got mm-hmm. to enjoy the President's No, loge. no, no.
0: This was uh somebody just put them up for sale on StubHub, and Big Rand
1: swooped them up. I oh. never seen those on sale on StubHub. Ever. I didn't think you could actually buy those. I thought that was an invitation only. Yeah, so did I. Situation. So did I. We showed up. Uh, no, you know. I think the original owners of the box, like they were still in there with us. They just didn't use all their seats. So that was a little bit awkward. <laughs> but well, yeah, the I didn't outside, I will swear to this that the I also just realized that like this picture behind me is uh, basically exactly where I was sitting on Saturday. Oh, um, also well,
0: that's my favorite section in the stadium right there. Is that the,
1: the old section nine, is that where that is? Uh, yeah. So we were in one Oh nine, but yeah, that's ah. where my, uh, that's where my parents I, season tickets are. I like nine. A good, Nine's the, like the, the, the like short the benches. benches. They're like eight person benches. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, it was a nice section. I really liked it. And you don't have a ton of people like climbing yeah. over you as much. Yeah. It, it was, it was nice. Um, so we, I pointed out and I will take this story of that. I think it was, it was definitely cooler. Cause obviously it was like 85 or whatever. And then the field time got up to like 90 uh-huh. that the temperature, it was more uncomfortable in that stadium than it is when it is 105 here in Phoenix. Cause like the altitude. So it was weird. Cause like the sun being on you where you're getting blasted, it's like. When you walk outside in Phoenix, it's just like an or St. George, it's like an oven. It's just like it's all around you. You just feel it, right? And you're just kind of like, this is uncomfortably warm all over my body. But when the sun is out in the summer in Utah, it is like a it can it doesn't even matter if it's 20 degrees cooler. It's like a magnifying glass. Just like focus. So it's like, oh, my forehead on the the right side of my forehead is on fire. And the yeah. rest of me feels totally cool because it's away from the sun. It's just like that one side of you that's getting busted, it was way more uncomfortable than just being hot all over. I, I think you're I think you're just used to the hot. Well, I was thought I was I was excited to go to Utah because it's gonna be 25 degrees cooler. And then I was like, This is miserable. I'm like stadium hot is always hot. It's a different kind true. of hot. That's true. But you like have all that concrete out- just soaking it up.
0: Yeah. And so walking around before the game, because after the game it was pretty gross, but walking around before the game. Did you notice that it was hot?
1: Or was it like Yeah, yeah. walking to the state, I was like, this is this sucks. I did not sign up for this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was hot. I don't know. The hot day. Um, whatever.
1: Uh so Jeff, we did not record last week because uh you we couldn't make our schedules line up. We are recording today. And you know how how are we feeling? How did you feel about the game last week? Um I mean, look, if this was
0: the only game that you had to measure off of you'd probably be a little disappointed. But I wasn't really looking for just the results of Southern Utah. I wanted to see the progress from Sam Houston. That became the biggest storyline for me. Is Okay, is this team a 2017 team, right? That was like the immediate fear that everybody had after Sam Houston. And if you guys remember, I mean, granted, they played LSU, but the inept team that eked by Portland State looked equally or more inept against LSU that year, quarterback problems, defense problems. Everything was just exacerbated by a good team. And you could tell this team doesn't have a chance, but against Sam Houston, it was like, man, a lot of these are self-inflicted things. A lot of these could be new guy penalties, new guy mistakes. I want to see the progress. Now there were still mistakes. There were still things that need to be worked on. It still wasn't this dominating awesome performance by BYU, but the progress was such that it was like, oh, okay, these guys are just getting a feel for themselves. Maybe the whole, you know, Tava's dad, maybe that played a bigger role than we thought. I mean, there was just all of those external factors that you kind of use to cope and to rationalize with a 14 to nothing game against Sam Houston State. The way they played on Southern Utah against Southern Utah was, okay, yeah, maybe that's the reality. Maybe those weren't just cope, that was real. Like those were real excuses because they played better and they played substantially better. Still got a lot of room to grow, but based on what I saw from week one to week two, I'm inclined to, you know, on the the pie chart of accountability, I'm inclined to say that newness to the schemes, to the offense, new coaches, new players playing new positions. I'm inclined to say that is a bigger slice of the pie than we thought it was maybe coming out of week one. And that stands to reason that with more reps, more experience, the entire group gets a little bit better up until probably week four or five when, okay, now you've got four or five games under your belt. You are who you are. So I'm expecting another big jump forward this week in terms of how BYU plays. What does that mean on the scoreboard? We'll find out, but I think BYU will play better.
1: And I wouldn't read, I mean, so I think, and if you look back last year, Right. Look back at how the offensive line started last year. We didn't, and you, well, even in 21, you see, you know, the offensive performance against Arizona was not great in 2021. It wasn't really great against Utah in 2021 either. Right. And it was, it was pretty ho-hum until, but we had those moments at the end of the game where where the offensive line, you know, chewed out the clock in the fourth quarter. So we felt a lot better about it because we were like, okay, well it was pretty efficient. Uh, last year started out slow. We didn't run the ball great. The week's like, three through seven uh, you know there was like a month where we didn't run it great the line graded poorly and people were claiming the line and then there was that point in the season where uh kalani said you know maybe the running backs need to do a better job and he called them out specifically and so i don't i went back through and i looked at pff and it was i'm not really worried about the running backs i because if you go back and watch i mean they suu they i have no idea why they sold out so much to stop the run when we couldn't run the ball for beans against Sam Houston. So like why I'm not sure why they continued to play both their safeties so close and take away the run when Sam Houston stuffed us. And so I think we, I think there is a, a lot to be said for and guys and counterpay pay talked about this in his media available yesterday, that it's not just, you know, if you're moving a new position and new guys, like you think it's like, Hey, you know, the play, but when you're talking about like a combo block, right? Like it's, or you're talking about working up to a backer, you're passing guys off. You have to have that trust and that innate feel like even more so than, you know, Oh, you're you, people talk about like, Oh, you're, the QBs are there and they got their chemistry with the receivers, right? And every receiver is a little bit different. So the quarterback has to have his chemistry know how fast each guy is and know where to put the ball is for each guy. That's the same thing for the offensive line, right, of being able to pass stuff off. So even though Connor Pay has a of experience, he's at a new position, you know, and he's never played by Caleb Etienne or Paul Miley. uh, And, you know, and it's same thing with Kingsley, his flip sides, and he's playing on the left side. He hasn't done that before. You know, the angles that you take, the way things look are different. And he brought up, you know, that it's like, The speed of the game is different, you know, because you're just working differently. You're working at a different angle, going at somebody else. And so things can be different. And then I did have a player that was on my flight going home on Saturday night. Ah. And yeah. And so I was talking to him about it and he mentioned that there were some uh, schematic changes Now I haven't watched enough, like I'm going to go through and chart everything to say like, what exactly did we think they changed? And I don't even know how much of they what they changed because I'm not you know, smart enough to know even if I knew what play to look for. Yeah. The, but in, even it could be very simple as like the change, you know, because normally when you're running wide zone, it's like, okay, you have like fill, like you're covered or uncovered and you're going to work to the play side. And if you're covered, then it's like, you know, you're going to take the guy in front of you. Otherwise you're going to chip and like work up to the back or whatever that you could switch around, whatever there. Is. So there's five new guys you have some kind of scheme change and then it's like, they're trying to stuff the box and say, we dare you to beat us with your arm. And so you did like, it's not, I'm yeah. not really worried about it. And, you know, in terms of that front. Now I am worried about the continued performance of Caleb Etienne because Kingsley last year started off really slow and then he got much better as the season progressed. Mm-hmm. I expect that to happen this year. Waylon Lapuaho is playing better than he did last year at Utah state. Paul Miley is playing better than he did last year at Utah. Connor Pace started out slow last year, got benched against for the Arkansas game and then came back on and finished the season really strong and kind of he figured it out. So that's fine. But Caleb Etienne is playing. uh, He's actually run blocking better than he did at Oklahoma State last year, which is surprising because I I don't know. I'm really wondering just really why Oklahoma State didn't bench him. Really, Like surely they had somebody else, but it's, I don't know how much longer the Caleb ETN experience experiment can go on, especially since we, you know, we've now seen A-Rod report that LJ Martin will be starting. And the primary reason that he listed is he's the one breaking tackles. And that's what we haven't seen, right? We've seen, you know, plays where there's, you know, maybe the offensive line didn't do their job perfectly. You know, they rarely do their job. You rarely have five guys do their job perfectly. But, you know, the running back's got to break a tackle and fall forward and get three yards. That's what Tyler Algier was amazing at and why he's playing in the NFL. Yeah. And we haven't seen that from Dion. We haven't seen that from Aiden Robbins. And, you know, we have seen it from L.J. Martin. So that's why the freshmen's getting rock on Saturday.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, you mentioned Caleb Etienne. He, uh, I don't know. People have asked, okay, how come he's still playing? Are there promises that must have been given? Like did did the coaches promise that he would play, and that's why he transferred so quickly? So let's just look. I think we I think it's important to kind of cut through the narratives and let's look at the reality. Caleb Etienne comes over to be the guy. I mean, that's why. Whether promises, no promises, whatever. Forget all that for a minute. He comes over to be the guy. So he's BYU starting right tackle. Kingsley Sowamta is on the left tackle. You want to have two big, giant, huge, dominant bookend tackles. That's what happens. Uh, the first game. Everybody struggles. Everybody struggles from the quarterback to the receivers, the offensive line, everybody on offense struggles. So it's hard to say Caleb Etienne sucked. You can't play him because yeah, he sucked, but so did everybody else. So week one, you chalk that up as as a week one game. Then you get into week two and the offensive line still not playing phenomenally well by any stretch of the imagination, but playing better except for Caleb Etienne. So maybe at this point, that's when you start. If you're Daryl Funk, if you're Aaron Roderick, you start looking at it and go, oh, we might need to make a change. But I think it was the second drive into the game that Kingsley Swim, i tell you, I don't know if he rolled his ankle, somebody rolled up into him and he re-aggravated the knee. I think he had ice on his ankle throughout the game. He gets hurt. Braden Kime comes in. <clears throat> well, that's, that's Caleb Etienne's backup. So now you've got the guy who you probably would have pulled Caleb Etienne and replaced him with in Braden Kime. You've got him filling in for an injured left tackle. Okay, well, I suppose we could maybe, you know, Caleb Etienne continues to play not very well. I guess you could still pull him out and put in Simi Moala. I mean, I guess you could have done that, and maybe they should. I don't know. But it's only week two, and you had all those problems from week one. You worked so hard to correct things in week two. Do you immediately want to have two backup tackles in in the second half as you're trying to figure things out? I mean, maybe you make that case that you, you do, but I get why they did not Right. So Kingsley's in and out and in and out. But I've seen people say, like, well, Kingsley was only hurt for a series or two. No, no Kime played more reps than Kingsley did. Kingsley yeah. was in and out and then out for most of the second half. Uh, okay, so now Kingsley's probably fine, right? I mean, he came back into that game, so he's probably fine. I'm not real worried about him missing against Arkansas. Uh, so now Daryl Funk has a decision to make because you've got back-to-back games where, where Caleb Etienne, not only did he not improve, he got worse in Week 2. The rest of the group got better, but Week 2 was worse.
1: He is the worst offensive starter since PFF graded offensive starter since PFF started tracking collegiate stats in 2014 that BYU yeah, it, has put out on the field.
0: It's been bad. That includes some bad offensive line play over those years. So now do you make a change? And so I, I, anybody who's looking at Funk and or Kalani or whoever and saying, well, this is why you don't make promises to players. I think that's premature. Now, if he plays poorly again in week three and he doesn't, improve at all doesn't show any signs of life and he continues to play then yeah let's start to grumble a little bit but i think circumstance made made it all make sense up to this point i would imagine etn probably starts no matter what I, I don't think he's not going to start at right tackle this week but if he goes out and has a dismal first series i think he probably gets pulled i think that leash is at zero mistakes at this
1: point yeah, and it's zero mistakes in, in the effort. I mean, there are a lot of lazy plays that we saw from him. And so, if Kingsley is good to go, uh, we've seen we've seen that Kime is the backup at both tackle positions, right? Because he he played about twenty percent of the snaps. So the other four linemen, except for ETN, played all every down versus Sam Houston. Kime was the only one who came in, and he played twenty percent of the snaps. Then he's the one who went in for Kingsley on the left side. So we are going to see. Um, if we do see that it will be, um, I think it will be uh, a very short leash. And I don't think that there's, um, I don't think that there's a super, um, like maybe like a promise or whatever, but it is something where you do have to tread lightly because he is a guy who came in with P5 starting experience and came in through the transfer portal and if you make that leash too short, then with all of these dudes have agents now and their agents going to be in their ear, you know, and they're talking to the people they are going to say like, Hey, like if you're an offensive, it's like, dude, it's like, yeah, they had a guy who started every game of Oklahoma state last year. And then they benched him after two series, the first week of the season, you don't want to go there. So it's even without a promise. Like there is some except where it's not necessarily that like the player doesn't want to do it. or coaches are making promises, but these players, they have a lot of people in their ear, right? Like we had people in Cody Epps ear, telling them all these things. And then once the actual conversations happened with the people, the right people, it was like, oh, okay, actually, let me take a step back. Yeah, this is where I want to be. And I, so I think that, that is true. I, I I think I'm one year away from seeing what
0: a transfer portal cycle looks like away from being able to determine now that's not that big of a deal. Because I think that that's true in traditional recruiting, and I think that's always been true in transfers. But the sheer number of people who transfer nowadays makes me think that even if that is a risk, like you, you're going to go, you, you still
1: are going to have bodies
0: there. But having said that, uh, we're still in COVID eligibility. Like, there's still like a lot of funny. It's, it's weird. There's a lot of
1: weirdness going on. So,
0: yeah, is it always going to be where there's you know 2,500 kids who transfer? I kind of think so, but I don't think we know that yet because of all the goofy things that are still happening.
1: And I do think it's slowing down because there's a lot of kids who go into the portal and then end up with nothing. And so I do think the number will come down a little bit. Um, But yeah, it's, so that is something, it is something, I don't know how big of a factor it is, but it's probably in the mind, you know, it's that someone does have a lot of reps and yeah. So you think all coaches think you can coach up somebody. And it, it is a shame that for somebody as big and as strong as Caleb BTN is that it's not, you know, that it's not working. And we talked a lot about it
0: when, when Devin Kafusi transferred to Utah, that it was like, why would Utah take Devin Caffucci? He Hasn't done very much. He's not Bronson. He's not Corbin. Well, I can tell you exactly why it was because he was super fast. He was six foot eight and 275 pounds. Like, there's a lot of coaches that are going to look at that and say, I can make that work. And lo and behold, Devin Kafusi didn't get significantly better at Utah than he was at BYU. He just kind of was who he was, and that's great. Good for him. Uh, but every coach is going to fall in love with that kind of size. When you look at Caleb Etienne, I mean, Sam Pittman talked about him this week. When you look at that, he's 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 intimidating. He's enormous. I mean, it is an imposing figure. Every offensive line coach in the country is going to say, If I can just get him to X, then he is an NFL offensive tackle. So I get the lore, but you've got to be able to, to be disciplined enough to say it's not working.
1: And honestly, he's, there's not that many people that are that big. So even no matter how bad he is, he's still kind of, he's probably going to wherever he finishes career. He's probably going to get a mini camp invite or like go get invited to a CFL training camp or something just because even at the next level, they're like, well, you don't have, you know, it's like, there's yeah. a reason that pretty much everyone, if you are over seven plus feet tall and play college basketball, some NBA team You're is going to invite get you to camp. Well, you like, remember Molongi, Mo but let's think back to the story of Molongi. Like, obviously, he turned out
0: to be nothing, right? But Bronco, when he was introduced to Molongi and he saw that, wow, well, this kid can move. He's six foot, whatever. He's 400 pounds. The quote from Bronco was, well, you've got to be able to play something. Like, they didn't know what. They didn't know where, but it was just he was so huge. Got to be able to play something. And I think size, man, size is, you know, the God God given gift that goes to some people that. Yeah. Even if you're not very good at football, even if you don't like football, you don't want to play football. If you have that football player size, you're going to get chances to play football. That guys like you and I, who maybe would have loved to play college football, would have loved to be the hardest Right. right tackle in the world. It's just never going to happen. Well, that's just the reality of it. Uh but I am excited for this week. I'm excited. I'm glad you brought up LJ. I'm excited to see what LJ brings. Now, I do think I I, I and this is just like I feel like uh I feel like I'm in one of those conferences that you see on TikTok where it's like the Uh, I don't know. We're going to offend people, I guess. I don't know. But like the raise your hand. It's like point of clarity, point of contention, point of whatever.
1: (laughs) Going using Robert's rules. Yeah,
0: whatever it is. That's kind of how I feel. Like point of clarity. LJ Martin's getting the start. Aiden Robbins is not. Deion Smith is obviously not. Aiden Robbins is the one whose role is changing. Deion Smith's role is staying exactly the same. Yeah. LJ Martin is the starter. Deion Smith is still going to be the change of pace guy. And frankly, Deion Smith has played well. If he would just cut it upfield and when he has negative plays, they're super negative. If he would just take the, well, I'm not going to get anything, take the one yard gain and live this other day. It's sort of like the baseball pitcher that it's like, you got a base open and it's three and one, just be careful. Just be careful. Don't throw, you know, don't pipe something to Ronald Acuna. Just be careful. Let him take the open base and live to see another day. Yeah. And I, I think that Deion Smith has a tendency to cut back, trying to get to the edge, and so his negative plays instead of being stopped for no gain, they're going for like ten yard losses,
1: and they're killers. But and other he can't,
0: than that, he's playing well,
1: and you can't put up with that for too long. But he, the thing with Dion is like you can see the speed is there. It's like, yeah. I mean, and Hans brought this up with in the post game last week when you know the coaches or the post game show where he said, you know, there's nothing like Aiden Robbins has yet to make a memorable play. LJ really? Robbins, LJ Martins had a bunch where you're like, oh, he broke a tackle. Like, wow, that was stuffed. And he turned it into a five yard gain. Like whatever, you know, his very first game was memorable.
0: Yeah. And then
1: Dion, it's like, even though he didn't rush for great, it was like, yeah, he scored the touchdown last week and that was great. But it's like, every time he touches the ball, you're like, this dude is quick and he's going to pop one. like, and, but then with Aiden Robbins, you're like, you just look slow and you should be trucking these people, but you're just getting tackled by someone who's smaller than yeah. you. Know, like it's, it's not adding up,
0: and, and I don't not, get it. Not playing well as a blocker, not reading his gap super well. Uh Aiden Robbins, Aiden Robbins just
1: isn't playing well. I think and, and I don't well. get it because he was talented and it was like he I mean he rushed for a thousand yards last year. I mean and one he's of those super games, smart. He's one of the most intelligent players, I think, on the team.
0: So it's frustrating I think it's got to be frustrating if you're a coach that
1: there's playbook issues there because the guy's a really really bright talented and the shocking thing is like the uh, you know the shocking thing is is that when I talked to that player who was on my flight he said like in camp and I mean we heard and everyone was hyped on it because of what you know like Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, you know, were saying about, you know, how players looked in camp and the media sessions, and people kept talking all summer long. We heard about Aiden, 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 Aiden. And even that player was like, I'm surprised. He's like, we just got to get it fixed. And, you know, but he's like, he said he's surprised because in practice, Robbins was like, he's dominating. It's like, he's like, he is him in practice. So it's just like something in that, you know, that happens sometimes. Some guys are great in practice and are not gamers, and some dudes look like, you know, their cheeks in practice. But then once the lights come on, they look amazing and like a Hall of Famer. And yeah. so it may be just a case of that, or I don't know if he's got the yips or he's what, but it's, it's frustrating. Gotta,
0: people say he's got to get some rhythm and I get that. He's, he needs more than three carries a game, but you've got to do more when you're not getting the ball handed to you to earn those carries. And that's, what, I think, why BYU can't keep him on the field. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's essentially is a big tight end. that's lining up next to the quarterback and he's offering next to
1: nothing as a pass blocker. So let me, uh, let me, let's get get him out there. sharing reps with Mason Fakahua. Let's see that he's he's faster than Mason. They both weigh 240 pounds. Let's go.
0: Uh, Just real time life update. I've got, apparently my wife has ordered a DoorDash and she ordered some Walmart delivery and I ordered my own separate DoorDash. And all three of them have showed up at the same time. And the amount of confusion going through like their minds right now as I'm watching them in the driveway,
1: it's uh, something. Do you, with the Walmart delivery, do you have them, uh, do they put your groceries away for you in your garage or just leave them on the porch? No, that's a that must be an Arizona thing where you guys have thieves. We're still kind here in Utah. Hmm. Well, I mean, well, it's more like you can't put groceries on your front porch because they will oh, go yeah, bad yeah. in 10 minutes in the yeah, summer. Good call. Good um, call. But, but the... LJ
0: Martin, he's going to play. Um, I think LJ Martin's just got some of that, like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like, um, you know, Zach Wilson kind of had it when he got to BYU, that he was a true freshman. He was young. He was playing in these huge moments but like he didn't get it. Like it wasn't huge. It was just football. Cause like, yeah, I'm still that guy. I'm still the big dude on campus. And I, I don't think he realized like, wow, like you're a true freshman. What you're doing is pretty special. It wasn't until later on that it was like, whoa, okay. That was, that was pretty special. I think LJ Martin, man, he's still just happy to be here. He's still happy. He's getting swag. You know, he's getting all the, all the gear in the locker room. He's still enjoying D one life. And then he just gets to go out and ball out and he's playing super well. I don't even know if he's been here long enough that it's hit him that he's like, I've only been here for two months and I'm the starting running back going into the big 12. Holy cow. It's kind of fun to watch.
1: It is fun to watch, especially, you know, I mean, it's like doubly fun just because he is from I guess he is from big 12 country, you know, because he's from Texas. If you can count El Paso as Texas, rather than, you know, El Paso is the St. George of Texas where St. George is, it is part of Utah, but it really kind of feels more like a, uh, the next city in Nevada that's just outside of Vegas because it's closer to Vegas than it is to any other city in Utah. Um but I am excited to see what uh what LJ Martin does. I think his running style, I mean it's compared to Tyler I mean, really Arod said it best when he just brought up that you know you're just breaking tackles. And that's something where you know Deion Smith has struggled to do it. Robbins, you expect him to do it, but he's hasn't done it. And it just seems like he's slow to get going. And it's just like He has that patience where it seems like Robbins is running and Robbins is just kind of running and never really committing to anything. Smith is like committing to the first thing he sees and just running, trying to outrun everyone there. But Martin is the only one that we see where he can do like a little lateral step. Like he can be running and do a lateral step to go around someone and then hit the gas again and put his head down and start going forward. And that it's just that combination of the patience and quickness, which a lot of it, you know, I think if you go back and watch his high school tape, he ran a lot of whites, you know, very similar It's he, he did a lot of similar stuff when he was in high school. And so I think that's just reps in the system. Is that something he's had versus I did go back and tried to find whatever I could about UNLV from last season. And they ran a very different system. So it's something we saw with Chris books last year where it took him time to get going. And that doesn't change the fact that it was really talented. It just took him a bit to get to really get going and feel comfortable in the system, which I think if we're going to go portaling for a back, we probably after these, you know, two years we need to be mindful of that and temper expectations come game day about you know how a back that's coming from a gap heavy system looks like um and but i think martin i mean the future is bright and it's he is everything we hoped he would it because you know sometimes with these four-star guys like I, we kind of saw this with cody epps too i mean cody epps wasn't a four-star guy but just the fact that he you know, wasn't a member came in, he came from California, played at modern day with Bryce young. Everyone had massive, massive expectations for Cody Epps and it took him a while. And so people were like, I mean, there was word before last year, like, Oh, he's a bust, just because he, he didn't, you know, wasn't a starter (laughs) right away when he got here. But, LJ Martin, you know, people like, well, we, we got this four-star kid from Texas and yeah, El Paso is technically Texas, um, but it's like, (laughs) Hey, we got this four-star kid from Texas and LJ Martin is looking every single bit of that. And so it It is awesome. I'm excited for him. And it's, it's that patience and the quickness is there. And it seems like he just has the comfort to just to be patient and really just keep his, keep his legs moving. Yeah.
0: And I think I'm really excited for it. I'm excited too to see what Aaron Roderick does this week. He talked about it. I think he said, I don't know, like 30% of the playbook is what he's used. Is that the number he used?
1: Yeah, he said 30% of what they installed in fall camp they've used or shown.
0: And you kind of saw that, I think, against SUU. I mean, the second half was plain Jane, pun intended. We're plain Jane fans (laughs) here at BYU. And it was plain Jane. It was not a very creative second half because it didn't need to be. And despite what Delane Fitzgerald, who is my guy, I love Delane Fitzgerald.
1: No, nah, dude, Delane Fitzgerald, he sucks. Don't say he's your guy.
0: I like him. I liked him a lot last week. And then he said what he said about BYU. I still like him.
1: Yeah. I like him. Heard some things about some people who from some people who played for him, and they're not fans.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot of things about him, and I get I get why people wouldn't like him. I like him.
1: I, I did think it was the funniest thing was when he said that they were uh what that the they were excited to come out and show that they can play for four quarters and stand up against us for 3 hours or whatever and then like 2 minutes later in the same interview said that he was you know the the local guys who were here, you know, they could keep it up for a quarter and a half because they're excited to play BYU, but you know, trying to keep the whole team motivated was gonna be hard. It's like they make up your mind, man. You're just yeah. trying to pick you're, you're, you're fishing for sound bites and you ain't Dion. You are not prime.
0: <laughs> He's not okay? you cannot
1: pull out you cannot pull out the 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 quotable one liners here's one why after I, another.
0: Here's why I like him. You've got to be different in order to win in Cedar City. You have to be And you've got to be a different type of coach to win at the FCS level. I would bet. Let's just pretend Delane Fitzgerald is at Utah state. I don't think he says the things that he says. I think he can, he can get away with saying things because he plays at Southern Utah. Nobody's really taking it serious. So he's saying things that, you know, to try to motivate his guys to try to get them fired up when they hear the sound bites, I get it, but I like him. I mean, I think he's, I don't know. I think he's kind of spineless, right? Like, he went from BYU is the best to they're an okay team. Like, the things that he said were like, God, that pisses me off. But He seems like a schmuck. And maybe he is. You know who else seems like a schmuck? Nick Saban. Doesn't seem like somebody I'm going to want to hang out with very long. But he wins a hell of a lot of football games.
1: Yeah, Delane Fitzgerald ain't winning a hell of a lot
0: of football games. (laughs) He might. He needs a shot. I think SUU is going to be a pretty good team this year in the... What are they called now? The A Sun, Axe Sun. No,
1: they're in the United Athletic Conference. I wonder, do you think they regret regret leaving the big sky?
0: Oh, they have to.
1: Because so to wind it back, right? Like there were like four or five teams from that left the big sky, Sam Houston State, or that left the Southland. Sorry. Sam Houston State was one of them. And then like Lamar was another one. There were a couple other schools that left. They and they joined the WAC. And now the WAC will say, okay, we're going to try to move up and because this. Dixie was in the WAC or Utah Tech was in the WAC. And then they said, hey, SUU, come down with us. And SUU said, okay. They also extended an invitation to Weaver. Weaver said no. Smart. So then Sam Houston State said they're going to Conference USA. Then a couple of the other schools that had joined the WAC said, actually, now that like this isn't working and we're not going to be able to go up, whatever that they decided to go back to the Southland. And so now it's like this weird Hodgepodge But they don't have enough teams. So they have combined with the, I think the Atlantic sun. Yeah. To yeah. where it's like, they're making this like football only conference thing, but then they NCAA has to approve it, but they haven't yet. So that's why they're in the United athletic conference. So they are in a worst basketball conference and a basically non-existent football conference when they were in one of the strongest FCS
0: conferences. And, and even forgetting all of that aside, like the, the the status, the prestige of the conference, they have Utah Tech right here in their backyard, and then they travel to, like, Alabama. They're traveling to, like, East Texas, Mississippi-type school. Yeah. It sucks. I mean, it would
1: suck. Me, I'm going to – hold on, let me pull up. Oh, uh, apparently Oliver Luck is the commissioner – of this league. Of, I did not know that. So that the schools, yeah. So it's SUU and Utah tech. So they've got Abilene Christian, Abilene, Texas and Tarleton state, which is in, uh, Stephenville, Texas. And they've got Stephen F Austin, which is outside of Houston, I think. And, and then central Arkansas Austin, and then all the A Sun school. So West Georgia, which just moved up from D two or is joining next year, moving up from D two and then Eastern Kentucky, Austin P, which is in Tennessee, North Alabama, we played them once. Forgot about mm-hmm. that. In Central Arkansas, so it's like their closest team now. Instead of being having schools in uh, Flagstaff and Ogden, yeah. Pocatello, you know, their closest school now is in Abilene, Texas. That's outside of brutal.
0: Utah Tech, it's brutal. I get why Utah Tech did it; they didn't have a choice. Yeah,
1: no, the big sky didn't want them, and they were just trying to move up, so good for them. But brutal. Uh, Arkansas,
0: what do you think about Arkansas this week?
1: I think it's – if you go listen, I think their fans feel very similar to us, that they, they expected the run game to be very good because he got KJ get Jefferson coming back. Rocket Sanders didn't play last week. He's not playing this week. Uh, they expected, they fired their defensive coordinator, got it, brought in a new guy. They expected, you know, they expected the defense to look better. The defense has looked better. Um, but they, their run game and their offense has not been what they expect. Well, wanted New, it to new be. offense
0: too, right? I yeah.
1: Mean- new, they did have a new offense. Yeah. So they, um, so y- with, that, I mean, so it's very similar vibes in that regard. Uh, I don't really know what to make of their offense because in week one UCF ran for eight and a half yards a carry and torched Kent State, and then last week Arkansas couldn't really run that well on them, and they won t- they won handily twenty eight to six because Kent State is is a bad team, but it wasn't they did not handle them the way that they should have. Right. And you know, I... similarly to our game against Sam Houston. So I think – I actually – I like the Cougars in this one. I think after two weeks of a ho-hum performance, it's I think we're going to come out fired up. I think guys are going to be excited to be playing on an SEC stadium. I think Kalani does really well in these revenge games. See, this is a lot of vibes to like maybe Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. you know, A lot of people here where it's like no one expects us to win. The offense has been pretty ane- – fairly anemic – right? All things considered. So let's go on the road and gut out a win and like, get out of there like 21, 17 or 24, 21 or something like that. And I think that, you know, the defense, like, yeah, they have people. I think the defense, uh, I, you know, the defensive line, I think the linebacker play is so much more improved this year that I think we can, we can bot- try to, I think we have a decent chance of bottling up KJ Jefferson, especially without rocket Sanders, that I think we have a shot of winning this game.
0: I think so, too. And I think that Kalani, we don't talk about this very often. I'm going through and I'm tallying it up because I only know off the top of my head for the last couple of years. Kalani is really good against Power 5 teams on the road. I don't know why, but since 2018, he's been really good against Power 5 teams on the road. 2016-2017, he was like 2-3. and But since Zach Wilson showed up, and really, we'll give him the, the first couple of weeks with Tanner Mangum. 2018 went on the road and beat uh, Arizona in Tucson, beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall. They did lose to Washington. They got beat pretty soundly by Washington, and they lost at uh, actually, yeah, they lost at Utah that that year as well, which is hard for me to count that as its own like that's its own category to me, the Utah game. But whatever. 2019 rolls around, uh, they win at Tennessee. Remember USC, Washington, those were home games. So they win at Tennessee. That's their only P5 game on the road. They go ahead and they win. They don't play anybody in 2020. Uh, 2021, it was kind of more of the same. They go on a a road trip, I guess, and they play in a neutral site, beat Arizona. Um, And then they go out and they get beat in Waco, but they win at at Pullman. I mean, he's better than 500 against Power 5 teams on the road. He does well on the road. and I don't know what that is but he does well on the road. The games that he loses against power 5 teams on the road are games against top 15, top 10 teams, right? Like Utah the last couple of years, Baylor in 21, like Washington in 2016, 20 I mean he's losing to playoff type, new year 6 type teams. But when he plays even good power 5 teams on the road that maybe aren't elite he tends to do really, really well. And I don't know what that is. He's beat Mississippi state on the road. He's beaten Michigan state. No, we got
1: work. We worked. on. It. Oh yeah. We he beat work.
0: Mississippi state at home. He beat Michigan state on the road. Yeah. He does pretty okay on the road. And this is one of those games that I think getting out of Lavelle Edwards stadium and getting into a new environment, given all of the ups and downs and the whatever's of the first couple of weeks, I think it's going to be good for Kalani. Good for his team. I think he's going to have these guys up and playing well. I'm with you. I've talked myself in to BYU. I think BYU wins, but at worst, I think BYU's competitive and has a shot to win in the fourth quarter. I'm a huge KJ Jefferson fan. I don't think you'll find a bigger KJ Jefferson fan than me. But outside of KJ Jefferson, I'm a little unsure about most of Arkansas's roster. I like the Tesla kid, the wide receiver Tesla. I think he's great. Um, I I yeah, I love Sanders. Rocket Sanders is fantastic. He's not playing. I think AJ Green behind him is also an NFL talent. So they've got talent, but I just have a lot of question marks about how they put it all together. So aside from KJ Jefferson, you know, just putting everybody on his back and carrying that Arkansas team, I think BYU wins position by position.
1: I like BYU a little bit better. So if do you think this game then is going to play out? Because I'm afraid I. That 2016 Michigan State game is a similar one. You know, they ended up not being a great team by season's end, but that game was early in the season. They had knocked off Notre Dame. Uh, They, like, lost a really close game in overtime or whatever. So they were ranked, and then they just barely fallen. They were in the top 10 and then fell out after a couple close losses. Um, So do you think that this game, I could see this game being, you know, that Michigan State type surprise?
0: I think so. I mean, I absolutely think it could. And if you go back, the difference is that Michigan State that year, I can't remember if they had quarterback problems all year or if they had an injury and it was a BYU. Like when BYU got to town, they were playing backup quarterbacks. But I remember there was pretty awful quarterback play from Michigan um, State.
1: I don't remember. Yeah, so sure. They had their starter played 11 games and they had a couple other quarterbacks that had like 50 Attempts So they played three quarterbacks. So there may have been a a random, you know, that may have been a a weird little injury mid
0: game thing. But yeah, this is the question that I would ask, right? To to you, to anybody who's listening. Take away KJ Jefferson. And are you scared of Arkansas?
1: No, I don't think so. I'm not confident in terms of like, just because we haven't run the ball super well, where it's like, oh, we're going to run all over and whatever. But it's really it's bottling up KJ Jefferson is the thing that concerns me. But even then last year, the only reason they won that game was because of KJ Jefferson. We couldn't bottle up. I mean, it was still, a, it yeah. was like tied go. And then they added those two scores late. So it looked, it, it way was 38,
0: 35 in the third quarter.
1: Yeah. Like, and with so like two
0: minutes left to go. In and then
1: it was like that one play where he like spun around and went down. Yeah. Like it was, was that crazy. That. Good. That broke, man. That broke my will to what in that game, and it broke the defense as well. You know, because he thought you had bottled up for a sack, and then he runs for like he ran oh, for no. 50 yards, yards on one play. It was somehow yeah. the, the field extended, it got longer and bigger, and he yeah. ran for more yards than was possible. Um, I mean, he was so, so efficient I, 75
0: almost percent of his
1: passes, 360 it. some odd yards, five score. I mean, he was unbelievable. And so, I don't think, yeah, I don't. They're not going to have that kind of performance against this defense. I don't think this defense is as good as we've, you know, they've looked the first two games just because a lot of that is the quality of the opponent, but they're better than they were last year. And I think we can, I think the linebacker play, I mean, the defensive yeah. line is not getting sacks, but they are creating more pressures and putting more hits on the quarterback. So I think they will do a better job at collapsing Might the, and we actually have the linebackers yeah. to come down and, you know, we're not having the linebackers playing twelve yards off the ball and sitting back. Like we have the linebackers playing downhill where they can actually bottom. Now it's gonna be a huge game. Like we're gonna have to have, you know, best game of their career type performances from uh, you know, AJV and Thule and Bywater, where they're just making tackles and they've got to, they've got to take him down because they're gonna have a lot of, you know, one on one matchups with him. But I think I think we have as good a shot of any.
0: I think to emphasize the point you said, okay, they're not bringing sacks or they're not getting sacks. BYU has been credited with 13 quarterback hits this year. Last year in 13 games, they were credited with 32. So yeah, they're not quite getting home. They're still a half step late to get to the sack, but they're creating more pressure on the quarterback. And I agree with you. I think it's BYU's linebackers that make or break this team. And BYU's linebackers a year ago were super talented. I mean, Ben Bywater's good. Max Tooley is good. These are very high quality players. They were in a scheme that they didn't know what they were doing. They were poorly coached. The, the fundamentals, the, the the technique was terrible. They were on their heels. They were playing coverage. I mean, they were not being asked to do things that suit their skill set. I think that from a talent standpoint, all they need to do is be able to just like be told go get go make a play. Go get after the quarterback. Go make something happen. Watching A.J. Von pachon and Ben Bywater together, especially when BYU was in their nickel package, when you watch those two on the field together, it's it's poetry. I mean, it's beautiful. The way that those two respond and play off of each other, it's phenomenal. And I think they're going to have a big game. Max is, uh he's a big-time player. He's experienced. I, I don't think we realize how old
1: Max Thule is. I
0: think he was, I
1: remember when Max Thule committed listening to him, get on Cougar center with Mitch Harper and Bean mace. Yeah.
0: I think if I remember right, I can't remember. I think it was 2015, maybe 2016 class. I mean, he's, he's been around for all of it. Um, but he's good. Harrison Taggart has shown me
1: he committed on, uh, September 16th, 2015.
0: Yeah. So 2016 class. It's been a long time. Harrison Taggart has shown me in the first couple of weeks that the dude just loves football. I mean, he's aggressive. If BYU throws him on the field, I have no doubt he's making plays. He's got the the size, the skills, the strength, all that stuff, but he just plays hard, and I think that's what I see from AJV and from Bywater, too. They are playing so much harder this year than they were last year. So, is that going to be enough to stop KJ Jefferson? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, probably not stop him, but all BYU would have realistically had to do last year was keep him out of the end zone twice. You know he can still throw for 350 yards and three scores, but maybe force two extra punts, and all of a sudden that's a different ball game. Last year, I think the defense is good enough that even with KJ Jefferson, um, yeah, I think they can give you know they can give up four chance or four scores. BYU's offense, I think, will be able to move the ball, and if you hold this team to 28, BYU wins even last year. If you hold this team to
1: 28 this year, I think BYU has a chance. And holding a team to 28 points is not asking all that much. Not a ton.
0: Especially now that nobody gets to
1: play football. It's like a whole quarter of plays have been removed. So, Yeah, not that many. But, Jeff, this has been a good episode. As we wrap up, uh, we talked, and we talked about this a few times in the history of the show, of how there are a lot of players out there. And we talk about, like, oh, we can't, you know, we'll never recruit good. There's just nobody will ever want to come to BYU, and we've talked about this on the show. And we said, no, it's just we just have to work harder. We have to go find the players that are religious. Like there are thousands of players that sign the FBS offers every year. There are players that are good players that can are willing to go in a religious environment. So this was shared on um, on our Discord. So Feastbox, they gave food to all of the players whose families were traveling to the Sam Houston game. They gave food uh, to their families. And so this was a card that Darius Lassiter's mom, Erica, she sent to Feastbox headquarters. So she sent this on a card, and the printed car, the printed version of the card said, "God has provided through you, my God." And then under, and then on the bottom, it said, "My God will shall supply your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus." Philippians four nineteen King James KJV. And then she wrote on there, "Thank you so much with blessing our family." last week with a pregame meal. We enjoyed our first BYU football game. I am so glad Darius loves Utah. Thank you again, Erica Lassiter. So, great family. Awesome. Mom is obviously raising him right. Because, I mean, Darius, I mean, he he played bad against Sam Houston. There's no – he will be the first one to tell you that. And he put in work, and he played great on Saturday. His blocking was much improved. He took it on himself. He got better. But it's like there are families like this all over the country that, you know, maybe – 25, 30 years ago. It's like, you know, especially where it's like the church is a little less mainstream. You know, you're from the South, you're from the East coast. You don't know any Mormons at all. And it seems really weird, whatever. And then, but now it's so national, you're in the big 12. You think the, Oh, they're just like this really weird thing. You get someone on campus, you go, you take a visit, you come down and sit and talk to them. And, you know, maybe as the rest of the world is, you know, colleges are getting a little more uh, party heavy than they even w- were once upon a time. And uh, there's a lot of parents who want their kids in this kind of environment, but they're not just going to show up and bang down your door. I mean, the LDS parents will do that. Most of them, but right. the, y- there are plenty of families like the Lassiters, but you just, you got to dig them out and you got to find them. And it's going to take a ton of work to go find all of them.
0: Theory. And Alexander is, is one of those families. I mean, he is as Christian as Christian gets. And yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. I, I, those those guys are out there. Uh, Jonathan Cabea is another one out of Texas that he's also a very, very religious player. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you got to go find them, but they're there. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to get into like the the culture of religion because I don't really understand it. I'm not smart enough to talk about it. It's not that I'm like afraid to talk about it. But as the world has changed, it just sort of feels like Christianity has changed a little bit that. We're not the we're not the enemies anymore. It feels like we're all sort of on the same team with other uh, theologies, and therefore it's a little bit more friendly when you think about
1: sending your kid to BYU. Just a little bit. So, Jeff, it's been a great episode. What is your final prediction for the game this week? I don't know, man. I've talked myself into like 32, 28. BYU. I don't know. Something in that I I was thinking it was going to be like that Wisconsin game in 2018, but I'm feeling more Michigan State now. After we've talked a little bit more, I'm buying the hype. I think the defense, I think Ben Bywater is going to have the game of his life, and we are going to see this come out and be... We're going to see this game come out, and it's going to be 31-14, just like that Michigan State game.
0: I like it. I like it.
1: Awesome. Well, well, we'll get this posted until next week, Jeff. Give them hell.
0: Give them hell.